0: Hey, good morning, Faith on Hill. Pastor Adam here. I want to say thank you for joining us this morning. Normally, we would be going through the Word of God, studying the Bible together, but this Sunday morning, our church, along with many other churches in our area, are going to hear the same message from Dr. Kristen White and Pastor Jeremiah Peck, who are both on the faculty of Multnomah University. Uh, They are going to be speaking to those who are struggling uh, emotionally, mentally, uh, with substance, uh, with coping mechanisms. We know that uh, substance abuse is on the rise, relapses on the rise, uh, attempts at suicide or, or suicide itself is on the rise. We, we can see what's going on, right? There's a pandemic, there's an economic crisis, we have racial tensions, we have cultural tensions, we have political upheaval. All of these things are not healthy. And on top of that, to stay healthy and to keep other people healthy, we've had to do something that's terrible for mental health, which is to isolate ourselves. So this is an incredibly timely and important message. I don't believe that it's a one size or one time fits all message, but I think it can start a conversation among ourselves about how do we best take care of ourselves and take care of those we are connected with. I'm looking forward to hearing what God has to say to us through this sister and brother who are learned and deep thinkers in this area. Let's hear from them together as we hear from the Lord.
1: Well, hello and welcome. Uh, for some folks that are uh, watching this video right now, I want to say good morning. Uh, if it's a morning as you're watching this, or uh, perhaps there are some that are watching this in the evening, so good evening to you uh, in whatever context or place or uh, time of day that it is. Um, we really appreciate being uh, invited to come speak with you and to come share this message with you today. And it's really our hope that as we uh, engage with these topics, that this is Informative, that mm-hmm. this is uh, reflective and and um, practical, but that also that this stirs uh, in folks, uh, perhaps as you're watching this. Um, This stirs in folks a desire to come alongside people who are hurting and uh, find ways to minister to them. As well, if you yourself, as you're watching this today, uh, find yourself wrestling with some difficult emotions, it's also our prayer that this would be a source of peace and comfort uh, to you in the name of our Lord Jesus. I want to introduce uh, myself briefly. My name is Reverend Jeremiah Peck, and I'm a a local pastor up in the state of Washington. Washington. In addition to pastoring a, a local church, I also have a private practice where I do Christian counseling uh, in the Clark County area, and I've had that private practice uh, now for several years working with families and couples and coming alongside folks who are navigating a variety of mental, emotional, relational, and spiritual concerns. In addition to that, I've also been privileged to be an instructor at Multnomah University where I teach some undergraduate and graduate courses in psychology and counseling and working with students as to become better helpers and professionals in Christian ministry context. I also want to introduce you to Dr. Kristen White, who will be introducing herself.
2: Yeah, thank you guys for having us today. Whether this finds you in your church or your living room, either way, it's a privilege to be with you. And as Jeremiah said, I'm Dr. Kristen White. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist, and I also work at Multnomah training professional counselors there um, and have a small private practice on the side. I have a background first in philosophy theology. I had hoped, got someone just said, this is God, they're calling us to Africa. I'd hoped that I was going to be called to missions and started there. And God called me into missions through helping um, the brokenhearted. So I feel honored to do this work. Uh, and I'm also a training and spiritual formation. So hopefully we can bring some of that integration and bless you guys today wherever you find yourself too.
1: Yeah, wonderful. Thank yeah. you. As we think about this, uh, this topic this morning, perhaps uh, this topic has already been introduced where you are, or you're just tuning in and watching this wondering, uh, what are we talking about today? Mm-hmm. And the main topic that we're discussing is the uh, unfortunately very prevalent topic of suicide. And immediately, as I say that, I feel a weightiness, a heaviness, realizing that this is a topic that uh, we handle with uh, a a sacredness Mm -hmm. uh, because of how deep and emotional and heavy this is for for some folks. Uh, Perhaps it's heavy for a variety of reasons. Uh, You might be watching this having personally wrestled with uh, some feelings of hopelessness or some feelings of sadness or depression Uh, for others as we mention the topic of of suicide. Uh, perhaps you're one that has been personally impacted uh, by mm-hmm. suicide for someone that you love, or someone that you know, or uh, maybe even a, a close family member. So we don't engage this topic cavalierly or or uh, lightheartedly by any means, but rather we do so reverently because we realize that for many of you, the place that we're walking on is very special and sacred ground. Mm-hmm. You know, it was very early on. In In uh, my own work in Christian ministry, um, perhaps about, oh goodness, 15 years ago or so, I was doing youth ministry at a a small local church. Uh, Very excited. It was the first church where I was doing uh, youth ministry. And... uh, engaging with with the youth group and leading bible studies and doing games and retreats and uh, planning all sorts of uh, outings and events i remember taking the youth to uh, various conferences where uh, i spent more time doing head counts on the max train in portland making sure we we came back with the same number of kids not always the same kids just the same number of kids i found out that was really important (laughs) i'm of course kidding um and, and just engaged with uh, youth, loved sharing with them the love of Jesus and modeling that with them uh, in really relational ways. But it wasn't before long that after small groups... After Bible studies, during some of these week-long camps or weekend retreats, as I built relationships with students and we, we cultivated trust, we cultivated openness where students felt genuinely cared about, that they began to open up about their personal lives. And perhaps if you know teenagers, have teenagers, or uh, served in ministries uh, with, with youth, you know that when students begin to open up about their personal lives, they also often open up about their struggles. And I found that as students were opening up about their struggles, they began to tell me of their feelings of sadness, their feelings of hopelessness, their feelings of anxiety, and their thoughts of suicide. Students would, would come up and share uh, things that they hadn't told anyone, or at least they claimed to have not told anyone before. Uh, some, some of their private thoughts that they wrestled with, uh, perhaps some in prayer, perhaps some through um, harmful behavior. Students that would come up to me and share uh, how they were hurting themselves. And I very quickly found myself in this place where I cared so deeply for these students that would, would come up and talk with me. And I'd, I'd sit there uh, listening to them and empathizing with them. And I, and I so desired to share the love of Jesus with them. You know, we had just been talking through a Bible study, or we had just been talking as a small group. And I wanted to take the the, the theological truth of God's immense love for them and convey that to them in a way but this early on in my own ministry experience i i found that i struggled as to how to convey the the hope and love of jesus to this teenager that was sincerely wrestling and battling uh, feelings of depression and thoughts of suicide what was uh shortly after uh Having these experiences in ministry, uh, for myself, I started to pursue more training, uh, more background in uh, Christian counseling, and uh, pursued a graduate degree in Christian counseling, uh, so as to be better equipped to serve these students in ministry. And it's one reason why I consider it such a deep privilege to share uh, even here today because uh, even the scope of our conversation today, I hope for some that while it might serve as an encouragement for you, that for some you also would glean uh, from this time some tools and some frameworks so as to help better come alongside folks who might be feeling similarly Kristen, anything that you might uh, uh, add or share in int- by way of introduction before we uh, come into the passage for today?
2: Well, I will just say briefly, I wasn't planning on getting into this, but really my uh, calling into the field, I-, I really felt a moment of calling from the Lord, but I, I think part of Um, God preparing me for this was experiencing my own experience of depression uh, as a student, as a high schooler and a college student. And so I understand these topics really personally as well. And I'm so glad to be able to be here with you today and um, hopefully speak some hope for those that are in that place.
1: Thank you. Um, so for for today, uh, perhaps you're in a context uh, where you have your Bibles with you. We're going to be looking at a passage of Scripture. Uh, again, some of you might be watching this video in different settings, whether you're in a church building right now or uh, you're at home, perhaps as a family, wherever you are, if you have access to pulling up on your phone or, or physically in front of you the Bible, uh, we're going to be looking at a passage. Um, we're going to turn actually to the book of 1 Kings chapter 19. And I'm just going to read a few verses here at a time and and pause and give some comments as we go. So it gives a biblical context for some of the topics as well as some of the practical application that we're going to briefly discuss uh, today. So that's 1 Kings 19. A little bit of context for those that are really familiar or not familiar with the, the story, rather, in first in Kings 19 we're coming right into the middle of of an intense scene because in the previous chapters we had just gone through uh, this interaction where Elijah uh, was was engaged with these four hundred prophets of Baal and they did this test as you recall there from the uh, from the text the 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 prophets of Baal were, were told to to pray to their God and to see if their God would would display you know in a, in a mighty way of something and they tried. And they tried, and of course their their God had not had not responded or done things and and even Elijah had said, "Well, perhaps your God is it can't hear you and he kind of you know, uh, dialogue with them a bit there, and after they had exhausted themselves in that way, then Elijah prays to the Lord, and it's this setting where they had set up an altar, and he told them to take these jugs of water and to, to completely saturate and soak, and then make this trench around the altar that was also filled with water. And at Elijah's uh, prayer, the Lord demonstrated His majesty and glory, and you saw fire come down from heaven, and uh, Scripture says completely soak up the water and and let, ignite the uh, ignite the altar there so it's this brilliant picture that we just saw in the preceding chapters right before this and we come into this context uh, because the four hundred prophets of Baal were all uh, killed and taken and then we come into chapter nineteen verse one which reads now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow, I do not make your life like that of one of them. So we see here that you know, Elijah just comes from this like, mountain-high experience of seeing the glory of the Lord just show up in a spectacular way. And if you didn't catch uh, the language here, was, as Jezebel hears what's just happened, Jezebel issues this death threat to Elijah. That's that last phrase here. I'm going to make your life like that of one of them of one of these prophets who were just killed. And you see here that you know, perhaps if you're looking and you're reading this story, if you're not familiar with this already, perhaps you might think, well, Elijah, you know, he's, a, he's a Bible character and we expect Bible characters to, to act in really righteous ways, you know, not like you and I would react to this. So perhaps if you're not familiar with this story, you might think to yourself, Elijah's about to demonstrate another really great act of faith in this God that's just been on display uh, for him to see and experience. Well, actually here in verse 3, I think we find Elijah has a very human response, Mm -hmm. perhaps not unlike a response you and I might have. It says, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. While he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. Now imagine here for a moment, given everything we just talked about, that this seems really peculiar. That he just saw the glory of the Lord in this really miraculous event with the fire raining down and God deliver and prove himself and show himself as faithful. But at this death threat, again, he has this human response, uh, perhaps not unlike how you and I respond, where he's afraid, he runs And then he has this vulnerable, sincere, heavy prayer. And it's this prayer to God to say, take my life. Woe the day I was born, so to speak. Just this this immense sorrow, this immense fear, this immense trembling. Mm -hmm. And he falls asleep. And what we observe here next is the way in which God ministers to Elijah in the very state where he is? Notice that the next verse here, right after the middle of chapter or verse five that we just paused at, uh, God doesn't meet Elijah with a stern rebuke. God doesn't meet Elijah with with discipline. Why are you Why are you praying such things, Elijah? Don't say that. Uh, but God ministers to him in a really special way, and I want to draw our attention to this. It says, all at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread, baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank, and then he lay down again. beautiful picture and and i hope that as we read that we don't read through it too quickly because in this heightened state of emotional and spiritual distress and fear and worry and depression and suicidal crying out in prayer god sends an angel to minister to elijah in such a way that elijah's physical needs are met did you catch that if you look closer at the text, you see that this angel gave him food and water and encouraged him to eat and drink and rest and sleep, acknowledging that this emotional burden, this spiritual burden, wasn't simply emotional and spiritual, but it has very physical implications as well. And the way that in which our sovereign God, in all his infinite wisdom about how we operate, determines to minister to Elijah is to start with these physical and practical things of eating, drinking, resting, and then this 40-day and 40-night journey of getting really good exercise. Mm. And then God comes to him, comes to him with a question, no less, Perhaps if you've ever observed this in Scripture, we acknowledge that God is, is all-knowing. Uh, the, the, the fancy theological word there we might use is he's omniscient. He knows everything. And yet we encounter passages like this where God asks a question, what are you doing here, Elijah? I'd simply point out that it's, it might be peculiar for some why an all-knowing God asks so many questions in Scripture I'd, I'd encourage as a response to that, that God's not asking these questions because he needs to be benefited by information. It's not as though God doesn't know what Elijah's doing here, but rather the master is craftfully uh, engaging with Elijah in a way that he knows will be helpful for him by getting Elijah to dialogue with him through asking him this question. And this is how Elijah replies in verse 10. He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with a sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. Notice what God says here in verse 11. Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. And these next few verses, we just see this this powerful display uh, of God's might is expressed through uh, creation here. I'm just going to read through this so that we get this picture. If you could imagine this in your mind's eye, it says, "...a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart, shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind." After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. After the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face, went out, and stood in the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? You're not reading that incorrectly. I didn't get notes mixed up here. This question that God asks, he really does ask a second time. And notice in verse 14, your Bible doesn't have an error here. This isn't a misprint. Elijah replies, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and they're trying to kill me too. If that sounds familiar, it's because it's word for word what Elijah just said moments ago. It wasn't that God wasn't paying attention. It's not that God needed Elijah to repeat himself as if God needed anything. But rather, we see that through this biblical example, that this character in the Bible, Elijah no less, who most of us as we read the biblical narrative would regard as this, this you know, not just prophet of God, but, but this uh, really faithful person who God instrumentally used in the narrative of Scripture in such a tremendous way. But as Elijah's having this very human experience of fear, anxiety, her hopelessness, and thoughts of suicide... That the way in which your sovereign God ministers to him, attending to his physical needs, attending to his emotional and relational needs by engaging with Elijah in conversation. He doesn't just tell Elijah what he's doing wrong and what he needs to do instead. He asks Elijah a question in order to get him to express and to dialogue. God here, through prayer, is this wonderful counselor. Hmm. And then... He shows up, and you see here that God's presence is manifested as this gentle whisper that he ministers to Elijah by showing up. He ministers to Elijah's spiritual need by by being there present with him. And it's this presence of God there in relationship and interaction as to how uh, God determines to minister to Elijah in this dark, dark hour. These are just a few pictures here that we have here in this passage of Scripture that I would hope that gives us a few uh, examples that normalizes having intense emotional experiences. If there's something I might share with you here that is when you might be feeling anxious or hopeless or sad or worried or depressed or even having thoughts similar to this, it's not unlike that of some of the characters in Scripture that we see God minister to in really remarkable ways.
2: Thank you, Jeremiah. That's awesome. I feel ministered too. And I love just your words that God is this wonderful counselor for us. And we would love to talk a little bit more about what do you do then if you find yourself in this boat? And I'm actually going to divide up for the rest of our time sort of the practical application between two groups, those who might be feeling depressed and suicidal, or suicidal, doesn't have to be and, and those who might find themselves more in a helper role. As I do this already, though, I recognize that's a bit arbitrary. You could be somebody who finds yourself in both camps, or you could be one in one today and in the other tomorrow. So this is not necessarily like those who are sick and healthy are meant to create any sort of divide. But just to say, hey, if you're in either of these groups, what do you do with this? Um, so the first group we're going to look at is those who are listening today who might feel like, yeah, I resonate with Elijah. I feel like I just want to lay down and sleep or I just want to lay down and, and even not wake up, right? For those who feel weary in body or spirit, um, who feel heavy-hearted, as Elijah did, um, for that group, first of all, I want to say um, it's not your fault, you're not doing anything wrong because you're feeling this way. Just as Jeremiah pointed out, when God showed up, he didn't reprimand Elijah and say, what's wrong with you? I just did this really cool thing yesterday. Or what's the sin in your life or something else? Um, This was, we don't know for 100% sure why Elijah was experiencing this. I don't think scripture tells us that. Um, But we know that it wasn't a result of sin or something he was doing wrong. It's not necessarily because he wasn't praying enough. He actually had a really amazing spiritual experience. The day before. I would love to have spiritual experiences like that where God comes down and brings the fire. Maybe they'd freak me out. I don't know. But it's not because he wasn't reading his Bible enough or something like that um, that he was experiencing these feelings. And so I want to make sure that as you're listening, sometimes we go there as Christians and we think, I must be doing something wrong or I must have sinned or I must not be doing XYZ enough. And that's not the picture we have here and the the second thing I want to point out is that it wasn't because God had left him and I think that's someplace we uh, we sometimes go to okay if I'm not doing something wrong then maybe it's that God has abandoned me and that's why this feels so awful but that wasn't true for Elijah God was actually nearer to him perhaps than than other times, right there with him, feeding him, literally, physically feeding him and giving him water, showing up presently. Uh, and so, I want to reassure you and remind you that God has not left you. That is not why you're experiencing these feelings or these struggles. Um, and I'm going to take that Hopefully, you guys have uh, the you can see our PowerPoint. Hopefully the technology has worked, but I'm still old school, and so the teacher and me brought my own whiteboard, if you will indulge me. Hopefully you guys will be able to see it. I want to draw one thing real quick, and then I'll I'll explain how this ties in. Um, one, and this, by the way, is one of the coolest things I learned in six years of grad school that just really spoke to my heart, so I'm really excited to share it with you guys today. And basically... If we imagine the Christian life, I promise I'll bring this back, Um, we sometimes have the idea, I'm going to draw a graph, and we're going to imagine for a a moment that um, we'll put on one axis your experience and the other sort of your time or investment as a Christian, how, how long have you been a Christian, how much have you prayed, how much have you served, things like that, that we sometimes have this idea that then well, this will be our experience, that as we put in more time, as we know God longer, as we pray more, we'll just feel better and better and better. And there will be more and more of a sense of God's nearness and consolation. And um, this is kind of actually a pretty modern new idea that I think the Bible doesn't necessarily support, um, nor does Christian tradition either, either way. Uh, and it makes me think of like David, right? David was a man after God's own heart, and yet his, he was all over the place. I mean, he had huge highs where he's dancing before the Lord, and then these huge lows where he feels like the world is out to get him and everything's falling apart. Heart. that does not look like this. it didn't it wasn't the more time he invested the better he felt same with Elijah right We see that he just had this great experience but but oftentimes our journey looks more like this. We get this initial high as we're getting to know the Lord and he blesses us as Paul says he gives us milk and then it sort of starts to tank and it might come back up for a while, and it's just sort of all over the place. Sometimes we have great feelings with the Lord. The ancient church or spiritual formation would call those consolation, which is times when we feel like God is near. Those mountaintop experiences that feel awesome, those are these points up here. But it's really normal to also have these lows. The ancient church would call that desolation, and that's where it feels like God is absent, where it feels like maybe the world is falling apart. It might feel like we We don't want to wake up or we don't want to get out of bed. And that desolation is actually really normal in the Christian life, Um, and and it actually means God is doing something. So again, if this is you, if you're at a low, it doesn't mean you're doing something wrong. It doesn't mean God has abandoned you. There's something unique God may be doing here. And what spiritual formation or the ancient church would believe is that those times of desolation um, are God actually removing the felt sense of his presence, not actually going anywhere. The ancients, uh, like monastics, thought that God was, if anything, nearer, if that's possible. But he removes that felt sense of his presence, and what we get instead is kind of a mirror. What we get is when we're looking up and trying to pray, instead of seeing God and feeling that connection, it's almost like somebody put a cap, and what we see instead mirrored back is ourselves. And there's something that God wants to work on in us, in these places. And so that's the other thing I want to say to those of you who are struggling is lean in. God hasn't abandoned you. He may actually want to do something really unique in you during this season. He may want to heal old wounds. He may want to, he may need to help you fix something in your body, right? There's lots of reasons for depression and thoughts of suicide. And and so we can't cover all of those today, but lean in and in that process, get help. Tell other people you're struggling. Tell your pastor. Tell your friends. Tell family. Tell professionals. Right? Get a medical eval if you're depressed. Get a therapist. Treat all of that as a spiritual discipline, a way of leaning into where God is at work in you right now. may not be where you want to be. We'd all like to live on the mountain. But if that's not where you are, um, be courageous and lean in and get help and ask God what he's doing. Uh, Let him ask you that question, like Elijah, of what are you doing here, and be honest with the answer in your heart, and share that not only with God, but with others. Our second group, I'll try to go faster. Are we running out of time? All right, get real excited, guys. Our second group is for those, I think we entitled it as helpers. Uh, Those who know somebody now or in the future that is depressed or suicidal, what do you do? And I put up here just James 1.19, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And I love, there's so many things we could use this verse for, and I love it. But I love that it says, hey, there's certain things it's really good for us to do, like be quick to listen, which God also models with Elijah. Um, But there's certain things that maybe we should be more cautious about. And I think the same is true for you if you're walking alongside somebody, whether it's a family member or somebody in your church who's experiencing depression or suicide. Um, I would say your, your biggest thing is just as it says here, and just just as God did with Elijah, to be quick to listen. Quick to listen. Sit, ask good questions uh, just as God did again. Uh, reflect. Um, sit with somebody and show them you're with them. And I would be much more cautious, as the scripture tells us, to speak, to offer advice, to try to fix it, to rebuke, There can be a place for those things, but I would be real cautious and do a lot of listening first and make sure the Lord is directing you to those so that you don't um, unintentionally exacerbate some of those feelings of shame and, uh, and suffering that are already there. Um, Do I have time to get into five quick tips? Okay, I'll be fast. But you might, we're going to do a bigger training, so you may have to come back to those if you want more. Um, I also put up here five tips from counselors, uh, which I'll go through real fast. One is, I said clarify the frame. And the frame, we mean just the relationship and what's happening. And the big point here for us as counselors is that's talking about what's confidential and what's not. And you don't obviously need to do that if you're sitting with a family member. But sometimes people will ask coming into these conversations, I'd like to share something with you. Will you keep it a secret? No. The answer is no. Not until you know what they're going to tell you. Because if they're going to tell you they're going to hurt themselves, that's not a good secret to keep for that person or for you. The next one is assess. If you're sitting with somebody who's struggling with depression or thoughts of suicide, feel free to ask questions. I know you're not trained in that, but ask them. Are you thinking of hurting yourself? Ask them, you know, can you get out of bed? Whatever God brings to your heart, whatever comes to your mind, don't be afraid to talk about it. You're not going to make things worse by asking these questions. Um, The next one I put is intervene. Again, I know you're not a licensed, trained, professional counselor, but you might be able to say, like, what? What kinds of things bring you hope? Do we need to get you help? Can I pray for you? Right? There might be little things you can do um, that would help the person find hope and get help. Part of that might be the next one, which is refer. Don't try to do this by yourself. If you have somebody who's really thinking of hurting themselves, get a professional involved so that you can make sure to keep this person safe. Um, And the last thing I put, a good tip from counselors, is to care for yourself in the midst of this. Uh, This is heavy stuff to sit with. And we learn as counselors that self-care is not a luxury anymore. It's a necessity. And if you're somebody who's helping uh, someone who's hurting, it's going to stir up stuff in you. This may stir up stuff in you just as you're listening today. And so take some time to lean into where God is working at you in that and to care for yourself also.
1: We hope that as we've as we've shared scripture and shared as well these uh, practical words uh, for you that wherever you find yourself uh, as you're watching this, uh, perhaps the Holy Spirit is ministering to you and bringing things to your mind, uh, bringing to your mind feelings of hope in the midst of uh, hopelessness and some really heavy feelings, or perhaps as well, uh, if you're not in that place, you could even uh, be brought to your mind of friends, family, loved ones that God's placing on your heart that perhaps for a little while now you've been concerned about these last several months. know all the things uh, you know as of uh, as of this month right now in twenty twenty when we're when we're having this conversation, there's so many strange and and crazy things happening in our world, and many people are experiencing intense feelings of fear and isolation and uh, ec- experiencing various uh, elements of loss uh, these days so if God's putting on your mind uh, some people that you want to reach out to, we'd really encourage you uh, to pick up that phone, to, to schedule a time to send a text message, even before uh, we're done here, to just grab your phone, switch on over, and just send a message, say, hey, can I check in with you today? You may even just take a moment to do that. If I could conclude our time with uh, just a brief story. Uh, This was also several years ago where uh, an individual had experienced uh, the loss of uh, a sudden loss of a suicide of a a very dear and close uh, loved one. And uh, some of those uh, friends had had contacted me to come and, and and talk with and meet with this person who had just found out this news and who was just understandably a wreck. And as I'm driving over and I'm praying and I, I'm thinking to myself, am I, am I sitting with this person who's grieving uh, this loss? am I sitting with them as a, as a pastor? And am I going to, am I going to share verses of scripture? And I'm I'm trying to think, God, what, what, what verse do I read to them? Or, or I'm thinking, well, I I have, I have these counseling skills. Am I, am I coming in and sitting as a counselor? And, and, and what ways am I going to try to reframe this or, or point out things in their thinking or feeling? And it was, it was such a, Uh, An anxious drive just coming into this space, but I arrived at the home, knocked on the door, and came into the house. And there was a person just head and hands, sobbing. And there were a few friends and family just watching as I came in, all sort of wondering, what is he going to do? What is he going to say? And in that moment, I knew precisely the most helpful thing. And I just came over and sat next to the person And cried with them. And while that's a story of coming alongside someone who's experienced grief as related to suicide, I think the parallels also mirror uh, individuals who are experiencing intense emotions or some of those thoughts themselves. Dear friends, you don't have to have all of the answers and all of the tools and all of the experience, but when you bring your personhood, you bring with that hope, you bring with that relationship, you bring with that human presence, and as a follower of Jesus, you also bring with that the indwelling Holy Spirit who walks with you to offer that person hope as well. Thank you so much for uh, just allowing us to share with you briefly here. Uh, As we mentioned, there's also, in addition to this, a longer training that we hope you'll be able to to see and engage with as well. But it's been such a blessing and a privilege to share with you today.
0: Pastor Adam here again. Like I said at the beginning, I don't think this is a one-time-fits-all or a one-size-fits-all message. I think this just scratches the surface. If you yourself are struggling or you are struggling on behalf of somebody, reach out. Be connected. You can email me, adam at faithonhill.com. Reach out to somebody in your small group. Reach out to somebody that you know is safe, that you can share the struggle with and get help. I am educated and learned in theology and the scriptures, and I'd love to pray with you and pray for you to encourage you that God loves you and he has not abandoned you. But I'm not an expert in mental health. And so I'd love to get you connected with people who are. Uh, If you're dealing with mental health issues, emotional issues, substance abuse issues, we want to make sure that we are looking out for one another. Don't go through this alone. We're here together. You are loved by God. Jesus died for you. And the Holy Spirit wants to empower you. Don't ever forget that. Reach out. Be connected. God bless you.